If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. Yeah, welcome to um, Bisexual Brunch with me, Ashley Byrne, with Nikki Hodgson and with Lewis Oakley. Three of us from different uh, bisexual backgrounds. We're going to be with you every week celebrating all things bisexual. But you might be saying, why? What's all this about? And what's this brunch thing about as well? Well, <laughs> originally the plan was that Lewis and um, Nikki were going to basically meet up at a lunchtime once a week, have a bit of a, a bit of a brunch or earlier than lunch as it were, brunch time, um, and talk about all things bisexual. And then I was going to be on the road somewhere interviewing people about their bisexual stories, their bisexual journeys. I was sort of going to be the, the big buy on the road as it were. But because of all this lockdown or semi-lockdown or whatever it is, I'm not sure where we are. We've sort of um, abandoned that for the moment, but uh, we've got plenty of stuff coming up and we've got loads of interviews in the bag that we've already um, uh, done with various people, some really interesting people coming up. But first of all, let's just start off by talking about why we're here, what we're doing and who we are. Nikki, let's um, let's start with you on this. Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> and uh, And why are we doing it? <laughs> Who am I? Well, I'm Nikki Hodgson. I'm a journalist and broadcaster and I've been talking and writing about sexuality and particularly bisexual issues for the past 10 years. Ash, you and I have worked together many a time and we first met when I was on your LGBT radio programme in Manchester, I remember, phoning in from Tokyo at a various a Pride celebration, which I'd managed to kind of skip off to. I took two, two weeks off work to go and do that and then um, got fired when I came back for being too liberal. So, <laughs> so my bed was made, so to speak, after that. We made a brilliant programme about being bisexual around the world for the World Service and I have continued to interview leading activists to really drill down into what it is to be bi today, especially around the world because people's experiences all over the globe are so disparate. And, you know, I'm bisexual myself. I'm in a relationship with a straight man. I'm getting married to him, but I am very much bi and it's very important to me that I hold on to that label. And why is it important to do this, do you think? Why is it important to communicate with people about being bisexual? Why do we need a podcast? I think we need a podcast because when I was growing up, there was nobody that I knew that was bi in the media or, you know, in the community around me. And I was brought up in a very liberal household. We had, my parents had gay friends, but they didn't have any bi friends. Now, of course, they did have bi friends, but they didn't have any bi friends that were out, obviously. And really just like reflecting on it just really hammered home that my journey and the journey of so many thousands of other people would be so much easier if there was just a bit more visibility of bi people we know increasingly when you survey younger people they are more, more open to calling themselves bi so far from this idea of it being a kind of category of uh, orientation that's dying off we know the opposite's true so there's never been a better moment really to step in and, and make the podcast 
And what about you, Lewis? You've got a unique story as well, haven't you? Because uh, you're bisexual, you're in a particular type of relationship and you're about to have a kid as well. I know, it's very straight-facing, isn't it? Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, so Lewis Oakley, bisexual activist, many of you know the story by now, had a massive argument in a bar about being bisexual with a gay guy. He says, write it up. I I wrote up our argument. And then the next thing I know, I'm writing for national newspapers about being bisexual because I was putting it in uh, an interesting way that I guess people kind of, for the first time, could get their head around like, oh, okay, it makes sense. And obviously since that, it's just been really important to me because I get a lot of messages from bisexuals, usually in the closet, around the globe, kind of saying, thank you, thank you for writing this. This is the first I've ever heard of it. And writing is great, but listening is better, which is why I think this podcast is going to be really good. And I just hope that it can be a platform of empowering people. You know, as much as there are problems for bisexuals to face, and we're going to talk about all of them, I don't want it to be a negative experience. I want people to listen to us, understand the issues, maybe have a a few more, you know, things in their arsenal of of, of things to go to, whether that be statistics or or perspectives maybe we put forward, so that bisexuals can look after themselves, whether that be maybe they're in an LGBT environment and someone says we don't need to spend any money on bisexuals to be able to stand up and say, actually, you do. Um, Or whether it is that you're in a bar and someone says bisexuality is not a thing, that, that you feel actually empowered to say, actually, it is. And I can stand up for myself. A little bit about me then. I mean, basically, I've mainly been in sort of, uh, I suppose, gay relationships in a way, but I still count myself as bisexual. Um, That is quite frustrating to a lot of people because they can't understand the fact that I still think of myself as bisexual and I'm in a gay relationship. It's like, why would you say that? Why? What's all that about? So maybe we'll end up. Expo- well, I'm sure we'll end up exploring all these things as we go on in in, in future future weeks. But I'm in a partnership with a, a gay man who is happy about me being uh, bisexual and there's no problems at all and monogamous relationship and all the rest of it. But I know there's a lot of people out there who are not accepted in that situation, and I hope we can provide a voice. Uh, for them uh, in the coming weeks and months. Um, it's um, This is quite historic, really, when, in a way, because, you know, there are the odd one or two bisexual things out there, but I, I don't actually think there is a regular bisexual programme or uh, podcast or show or whatever, certainly not in the UK. I mean, I don't know of any. Do you know of any, Nikki? I can't think of any. I don't know of any. And I just think the coverage of being bi is so scant. You know, when, when it's a news report, it's always negative. When it's something to do with celebrity, it's always salacious. And then when it's to do with the facts, well, they're just so thin on the ground, aren't they? So Exactly, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about something before we go on. I mean, we're, we're actually, this podcast is actually going to be fo- focusing on being uh, black and bi, which is quite topical at the moment. We've got some unique stories coming up and uh, we'll get to that uh, shortly. But before we do, in the news this week or last week or so has been this story everywhere basically all the all the papers covering it as though it's a responsible thing to cover but i beg to differ really it's um new research provides robust evidence that bisexual men exist i cannot believe that in 2020 can you lewis that we're still having this conversation about that in fact even the science going on to try and prove that we exist i mean what's it all about I'm really disappointed. I quite liked being a figment of someone's imagination. (laughs) Did it it mean I was exempt from paying taxes? (laughs) Um, Look, 
this is ridiculous, to be honest. It's, you know, you've taken 20 years to figure something out that I could have told you in 20 seconds. It is ridiculous. And I think that in some ways it's kind of like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, you know what? You've run your tests, which were, I think, like measuring if men got erections based on what kind of porn they watched for 20 years. Right. We've done it. We've, we've subjugated ourselves to that. Now, can, now are, you, are you convinced now? In 2020, after 20 years of doing this, are you convinced? Because we've got to, we've got to move on. And I think that what, what the follow-up to all of this report should be is, like, you know, if, if we're at a point where, okay, we've only just figured out in 2020 bisexual men exist, we have got a lot of catching up to do. We need more research. We need research on safe sex. We need research on self-harm. There are so many different areas now. We need research. We need more funding. So if you're saying to me, okay, it's taken us 20 years. We finally, like, we can see the point bisexual men exist. Okay, cool then. Now it's it's more of an urgency because you for 20 years we haven't been doing anything. Obviously not there are some bisexuals that have been doing things, but you know what I mean? Like if wider society has not been doing anything because you've been conducting this research, we need to move forward now. There's no way, is there, that anybody would carry out a survey to work at, to find out if gay people existed now, would they? This wouldn't happen, would it? No, God no. But I think what this is indicative of as well is just how how narrow the sexology field is because there are so many things that we presume that we know that have never been properly evidenced or written about in journals it doesn't mean that they don't exist it just means they've never been funded and we've never taken the time to research them properly and I think the bi thing is is ridiculous because we know that Kinsey absolutely identified people that were bi how many years ago now what it must be 60 years ago is it and yet what in that time we've done no more research on those kinds of orientations that's just baffling to me yeah, I mean, it says in this um, in this article I'm reading here, uh, the study was done by uh, J. Michael Bailey, a professor of psychology at the Northwestern University, which I presume is in America. And he says, for reasons I won't address here, in brackets, I'd have to speculate, female bisexuality has not elicited nearly as much scepticism as male bisexuality, apparently. Exactly. So he's making the political point right there, isn't he? he? You know, he's basically saying it's all to do with what people are titillated by. That's what they bother researching. And I think, actually, one of the things we should do is, is see if we can get hold of these researchers and chat to them about it. That is a fantastic idea, yeah. I know we're in this constant climate of cancel culture at the moment, but I'm personally not in this in the field of wanting to say, oh, you can't talk about this. I quite happily talk to somebody about it and challenge them and have them challenge me. That, to me, is democracy. I don't have a problem with that at all. I don't know what you two think. I mean, we think it's stupid. We all think it's stupid, but... You know, let's hear them out, yeah. And also, I think just ask them some more questions. They might be more forthcoming. In, in a report, they can't say that much about why they've done it and the kind of reasonings behind it and why why now, for example. But if you talk to a professor in a different context, they can often tell you a whole story about why it is that it took so long for them to get that research commissioned. And I think there could be something really fascinating under the skin of that. Indeed. So watch this space. Right, guys. Well, I think we've been talking about that for long enough. So why don't we head over to the fact that we interviewed some fantastic people about being black and bi. David J. Cork, who's an actor and rising star in America, he made his own series called By the Web. And also Vanit Mehta, who's an Indian bisexual activist and writer who's writing a book at the minute about being a bisexual man. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. 
right, guys. I'm David J. Cork. I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, but I now live in New York City. Um, I am a creator. I'm an actor. I'm a writer. And one of my biggest projects that I did on my own was I wrote, starred, and executive produced my own web series called By the Web Series, which was about a uh, bisexual man living in New York City tackling his love life, looking for love. I originally created the series because I wanted to tell this story about a bi guy looking for love. Um, I didn't think there was any representation of bisexual characters on film and TV. So I decided to pretty much take the lead in that. What ended up happening was in creating my own show, the bi community reached out to me. And I met some great people like uh, Jay Christopher Neal and uh, Dr. Haruku T. And Dr. Haruku T and I are currently working together on a documentary called No Homo No Hetero, which is about Black uh, bisexual men, uh, men that are sexually fluid and uh, telling their stories. Hopefully we'll be releasing that sometime next year. Um, we're currently in the post-production phase, uh, figuring out what's needed. J. Christopher Neal has his own community, which is of Black bisexual men. So I was able to be ingratiated in the community called Mankind. I'm also, you know, doing my own acting thing as well. I do uh, some TV shows here and there. I'm currently in season two of The Politician on Netflix. So make sure you catch that. And there's some other shows coming out as well. But yeah, that's essentially me. David, um, it's interesting that you're doing this documentary on essentially around uh, bisexual men, because if there's something that we've always found as uh, as, as um, journalists and activists around the whole issue of uh, bisexuality is how difficult it is to actually find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. And I would have thought in your community, it's probably even more difficult. So how on earth did you manage to go about that? I mean, you've obviously been successful in doing it, but were the difficulties you came up against as you went along with it? Well, there was a lot of difficulty uh, initially, but thankfully I was a part of a black bisexual men's group called Mankind, which was founded by J. Christopher Neal. So I was able to connect with people in that group. Um, we also put out some, some tweets and we got some people that reached out to the tweets. That was really helpful. So we were able to connect with people in that way. But we did, of course, have some shortcomings with trying to... Uh, branch a wide net and try to get as many people to come in. It wasn't a lot of people that were coming in. Uh, I think the stigma around being bisexual is still, you know, one that we are still battling to erase. But I think a lot of people fear having, um, having the label of bisexual and to talk about it on such an open way. They don't want to be stigmatized. They don't want to be looked down upon. They don't want to be ostracized. Um, it can be really intimidating to speak about being bisexual, especially in spaces where bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies, essentially. But yeah, it, it was a challenge, but thankfully we were able to reach and connect with some people. How are we going to be able to see this documentary? We were able to get it over here in the UK? Oh yeah, of course. Um, hopefully we'll be connecting with a streaming service that will uh, release it worldwide. We're still in negotiations with a couple of people as far as distribution is concerned. It's still a work in progress. So as soon as we can spread the word and release, we definitely will. So David, I wanted to ask you, obviously the whole world has been watching America the past few weeks and watching how the Black Lives Matter protests have played out. How has that situation been for you? You know, I think it's really great that there is this platform for the Black community to speak and to uh, have this opportunity to be seen. But for the longest time, I still feel like my identity has been attacked. 
um, to be black and to be bisexual, especially in America, has not been a very easy thing. Um, there are times where I am in um, the LGBT spaces and I'm shunned because I am bi and I'm black. There's times where I'm in the black community and I'm shunned because I'm I'm dark skinned and I'm also uh, LGBT. So it, it, there's this interesting um, intersection that I'm sitting at. Whereas, you know, I'm very proud that, you know, the black movement is moving forward in such a way, but I still want there to be a, a mesh where the black community can see that we all come in different shades and different colors and that all of our blackness matters. And that includes being LGBT. Do you think that the way in which the media plays out the whole Black Lives Matter thing means that actually some of the nuances of the situation, i.e. being bi and black or gay and black and whatever, don't come through? And that actually that is a disservice in many ways to the, the overall discussion as to how we move forward. Well, I think I'll speak for the for for my experience. Um, I think the black community needs to do a lot of work as far as healing within ourselves um, when it comes to relations with one another. Um, I think what we're doing on the broad front, as far as like making sure that all these injustices that have been placed upon us for so many years are being addressed and respected. I think that part that work is what's being shown across the globe. And that work is very important. However, I think on a more smaller level, we need to do that kind of work within our community just to make sure that we are all united and not um, divided in how we represent um, everything that is Black. So I was wondering a bit more about that intersectionality and how um, being Black and bisexual connect and maybe what some of the unique things are that maybe some of the other bisexuals don't get. I recently um, started writing a piece talking about how being mixed race helped me and prepared me for being bisexual and looking at some of the unique issues there of kind of being told you don't fit in either community and kind of being told you have passing privilege and that kind of thing. So I was wondering what some of the unique things were that you found. Well, some of the unique things about being black and bi is that um, you're in this position where you get to educate other people. I think what's, what's really cool is when I do tell someone that is heterosexual, that I am bisexual, the opportunity to educate them on what bisexuality is and what uh, and educate them on the LGBT community and language and, and all of the uh, gender fluidity as well. Being able to educate people because there are people that are open to wanting to learn. And I think because, you know, being bisexual, you're close to being hetero. They understand you in some aspect. Um, sometimes I feel that when I do talk to people about my sexual fluidity, they open up about their curiosities. So I think that's a really awesome thing. Because the community and of the world is just ever evolving, ever changing, I think Black people are also beginning to explore those parts of themselves. I feel like we're the community is starting to have that conversation about sexuality, having those conversations about mental health, and not keeping ourselves in a box. And I think right now is a great time for us to open up and explore all elements of ourselves. Um, David, can you tell us a bit about your your own personal bisexual journey? You know, when did you realize you were bisexual? Because we all face these things at different stages in our lives. When when was it for you? I think I realized I was bisexual probably when I was 17, 18. Um, I started to experiment and explore and uh, recognize that I had a attraction to multiple genders. And I thought that was really cool. As far as sharing that with family members, um, I shared it with my mom first, who was like, okay, 
I mean, that's cool. I guess we'll we'll roll with it. <laughs> um, and then using by the web series was a way that I told the world, in a sense. I always told my partners that I was with that I was bisexual. I always told um, my friends that I was bisexual, but I never felt like I, I had this need to like let the world know. But in doing by the web series, it allowed me to let my family know more about me. Uh, let my uh, let my friends that weren't as close to me know more about me, and for other people to be able to see themselves. Yeah, David. So I used to live in California and had some interesting experiences there talking about race and sexuality with people mm-hmm. and um and I was wondering how do you feel the LGBT community embraces or engages with being black <laughs> sounds yeah. like a kind of worms is about to be open <laughs> um you know for the longest time I felt as if the LGBT community fetishized black people. Like it was a, um, I know when I was first coming out and going to like parties and going to clubs, when I would meet like white gay men, they were just all about me sexually. They just wanted to like go on a rumpus ride or whatever it was. And that's just been my experience when it comes to the LGBT community at, at some point. It feels like we are, at times um, exploited because we are the minority. We are, we are there. And also it's like, Oh, you know, we, we understand your struggles. We get you, we got you. But at the same time, I feel like some people's um, privilege doesn't allow them to see that there are so many layers of oppression that are on black people that are, that also identify with the LGBTQ experience. And I think that that's often not, acknowledged enough that's not recognized enough especially within the bisexual community um when i first started going to bisexual meetings a lot of the people that i was seeing were female cisgendered um white women that that's was the, that was the main thing that i would see i wouldn't see very many other people of color i wouldn't see any other uh cisgendered men i i wouldn't see any of that and it was shocking at first but then i was like i i can't be surprised because even the media in the representation of any kind of uh, bisexual that is not a cisgendered white female, they're villainized, they're, they're cheaters, they're liars, they're manipulators, they're, they're killed off on TV shows because of their like evil ways. Like it's, it's all this negativity that's attached to being bisexual and of color. There's so much negativity around that. And so for that to reflect into the media must mean there must be an ounce of truth of it somewhere. And I think the LGBT community has a little bit of more growing to do when it comes to understanding the different oppressions that are placed on people of color that also identify with the LGBT experience. I just wanted to ask a little bit um, about how you balance issues. Because I, I, from talking to you, you kind of do it very well. And it's something I struggle with, with being serious and telling people that are bisexual and black, you know, there are issues but also about being positive. One of the things I always worry about is young bisexuals reading the stuff I'm writing about and being like, oh my God, it looks like I'm in for a terrible time. So just about how you keep that balance between being real about issues, but also being positive and being that example that that you've become. For me, it's all about being true to yourself and wanting to spread the love and the joy in the world that you want to create. And that means acknowledging that there are issues that need to be addressed. and we can't continue to just sweep these things under the rug and say that that is progress. We can't do that. 
I know for me, I, I always want to see the good in someone first. So I always connect to that. I'm like, I know you don't mean bad. I know you don't mean harm. So let's talk about the beauty of the world that we can create together. And if that starts by me educating you on something, then let me start by educating you on something. Um, if it starts with me cracking a joke with you, then let me start by cracking a joke with you. I just want to make sure that everyone's voice is heard because that's how progress happens. If everyone can hear everyone's point of view, everyone's perspective, understand what needs to shift, and then we can all move forward together. There's a great African proverb that says, if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, you go alone. That's a nice message. Mm -hmm. Stay with us, David, if you can, because we're going to talk now to Vinit in London and get his experiences of being bi and, and, and Asian. Can you introduce yourself to, to us first, um, Vinit, and tell us who you are and just tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, so hi, everyone. My name is Vinit Mehta. Uh, I am an Indian bisexual man. Born and raised in Southall in West London. I work as a software engineer, but like in my spare time, I do a lot of work within the LGBTQ plus community. So I volunteer for Rainbow Films and we produced a documentary called Pride and Protest. Then uh, I also volunteer for Middlesex Pride as a community engagement officer. I'm also an uh, avid writer. So uh, my writing has been featured in places like Metro UK and GMFA. Um, I've also been in a bisexual anthology called The Bible, Volume 2, and I'm currently writing a book for bisexual men. So I was wondering, Vinit, with all the Black Lives Matter protests that have been happening in the UK as well as all around the world, actually, how has that affected you in recent weeks and what's your reaction been to it? Um, I think it's an incredibly important topic to talk about because when we talk about uh, Black Lives Matter, we have to remember that this isn't just racism, but it's anti-blackness. Um, it's specifically racism towards black people. And it's not just white people that are responsible for that, but also people, non-black people of color like myself. Um, you know, the whitening cream industry in um, India is massive. It's like billion dollars. And there's such, uh, there's systemic racism even within non-black people of color spaces and the way that we treat black people. And, you know, there's this idea of um, the model minority and how non-black people of color are also weaponized against black people and how we're seen as the sort of acceptable minority amongst people and that we're used to show that black people are bad and even when you compare statistics you know white supremacy affects all of us affects all um EOCs but when you start to break it down in terms of statistics you know we use the word BAME a lot but we're not flattening the experiences of the people within that community and when you start to delve into it deeper, you start to realize that there's a hierarchy even within there and how black people still experience it worse, even when you're talking about minorities. So I think it's a really important issue to talk about. I have to make sure and other people like me have to make sure that as people of color who aren't black, that we aren't co-opting this and we aren't really injecting our own experiences into it because Right now we're talking about black people. And whilst we experience oppression, we need to make sure that right now we're talking about black people. And we see people in government doing this as well. We see people like Preeti Patel, and I can't remember her name, but the person who just got appointed as the, the race advisor for um, Tories. It tends to be sort of Indian, Pakistani people, you know, South Asian people who aren't black. Um, who are talking about their own experiences and injecting themselves into the conversation 
and putting their voice in when it isn't needed. And it ends up being quite damaging because these people don't seem to realize uh, the, the levels of oppression. I think that's really interesting, especially not looking at it as a whole and actually teasing out the different parts of that community. And I think there's a lot of parallels there with the LGBT community and how we're sort of looked at as one and how I feel specific issues are kind of forgotten about when we're looked at as one rather than looking at as specific sections of the LGBT community. What has your experience been being bisexual and a person of colour in LGBT spaces? Um, I would say it's very similar to uh, the stuff that David had said. Um, You know, in terms of talking outside of that for a minute and talking about just being a bisexual uh, Indian person, being within my cultural community can be quite damaging because it's so toxic. The masculinity in those spaces are so toxic that it's really hard to be queer in that space because it's not accepted. It's not seen as acceptable. But the thing is, is in those spaces, I was always quite comfortable talking about race. You know, race is something that we all experience and we all understand that I was quite comfortable talking about, you know, stuff like cultural appropriation and you know, the, the whites um, and all of the, the, the stuff that they do to try and look like us and be like us you know, them putting bindis on their forehead to go to Coachella and stuff like that. And I know that these people would understand it. And I, and I feel like I was quite trapped in a bubble there because I was always able to talk about that stuff. But then when I came out into the LGBTQ plus spaces, I found that it was so white dominated that suddenly I couldn't have that conversation anymore. And it's it was quite upsetting because you would think that them being marginalized, they would understand other marginalizations or at least attempt to to learn from that. But they were so defensive and apprehensive about having that conversation. The second I would bring up something like cultural appropriation, they'd be like, oh, you know, they didn't mean to offend. And, you know, why why is it such a problem? And they wouldn't get it. And then I would say, well, the reason you don't get it is your white privilege. And suddenly it's like, whoa. Like, like I've just spat at them <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's, but it is your white privilege because you're white. You don't have this lived experience. So of course you aren't going to understand exactly what I've been through, but it, suddenly it's, it's like equivalent to being racist to them. It's like, oh, you've just pointed out my race and you know, like, it's not a negative thing. Like it's, it's something that you need to recognize that you are a white person and that means that you are not going to understand what we have to go through and you're never going to understand it. All you can do is listen to us and learn from us. But they, they were so defensive about it. Vinit, what was your personal experience, your, your, your own bi story you know, in terms of coming out as bisexual? When did you realise you were actually bisexual? So my one's quite complicated because I started having feelings when I was about 10 or 11 um, so at that age, I was not straight. And I say not straight rather than bisexual because I didn't know the word bisexual. That was not something that ever entered my vocabulary. It's not something I was ever aware of. For me, my understanding was it's straight or it's gay. And gay is the bad one, so you don't want to be that. So I was like, well, I'm having these feelings that I can't explain, and it just causes internal conflict of like, Am I actually gay and I'm just in denial? But I'm, I'm having these crushes on the girls in my school. So what does that mean? Um, and I just didn't have the word for it until I reached about 17. 
Um, and at that age, I was taught about the word bicurious, not even bisexual, but bicurious. And um, it was immediately mocked. Like the second, th- it was because someone else came out as bicurious and everyone just laughed at it. They were like, what does that mean? That's just ridiculous. Just say you're gay. It's okay. Um, and so even then, even though I'd learned this word, I couldn't accept it in myself. So I couldn't say, oh, I am bisexual because it was, to me, myself, it was a joke. It was, it was something that just didn't make sense. So I just carried on being in denial until I reached 24. And I found other ways to deny myself because I was like, well, you know, I am attracted to men, but it's purely physical because every man I've ever interacted with has been such garbage <laughs> that I would not enter a romantic relationship with this kind of person. Like. Why would I bring that upon myself? And it wasn't until I reached 24 and I actually had a positive experience emotionally and romantically. Um, I think romantically, it, it was just a friend. But, you know, I, I had that those bonds with a man that I felt, well, okay, maybe this is something that I could actually envision for myself. I came out as bisexual and I had to try and accept that word to myself. It's fascinating, isn't it? Every Everyone's experiences are different. I mean, it's just, a, you know... I'm sure every gay experience is different, but I, I certainly the more and more I hear of the bisexual experience, there's just so many different varieties of it. Nikki, do you want to do you want to pick up on it on anything that Benit said? Mm, yeah, Benit, I was just going to ask you. Um, so you know, being bi and be, being Asian in Britain are two sort of unique experiences, and you have the both together. How has that shaped you? Um, I think it's it's given me a broader understanding of what it's like to be um, marginalised, which obviously people who are just um, a person of colour or just part of the LGBTQ plus community wouldn't necessarily understand. So it's given me that sort of broad understanding. It's really opened me up to other people and their experiences. And it's given me a level of, of acceptance that other people may not necessarily have. But it's also been traumatic in some ways I would say you know having to go into these spaces of uh, LGBTQ plus community and suddenly realizing that you know you're not you know you you heard the word safe space bounced around a lot and the vision of the LGBTQ plus community is one of love and pride and acceptance and then you enter this space and you go well I guess not um not even just on being a person of color but also being bisexual and, you know, realizing that you're in this space and you are seen as to be just another gay man because all of these spaces are so dominated by gay men. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. And it's like, what? what's that? What does that mean? How do you know? And they ask me, how do you know? And I'm like, how can you ask me that? Like, surely you should know better than anyone else the ways that you can know your sexuality but it's so alien to them and it's it's ridiculous because i'm like you you should be better than this you should as an as someone in the lgbtq plus community i always say that you should it should be your duty to learn about the other people within your own community and it's really upsetting to see that a lot of people just don't they just do not care enough to do that work yeah which is massively disappointing as well yeah, 100%. Yeah. Lewis, do you, 
listening to this, you're, you're from somebody of, of a mixed race. Does any of it, you know, how much do, do this do you recognise? I mean, is, it, is your experience similar or, or what? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely an intersection and, you know, being mixed race, I've definitely had the, the issue where certain members of the family have been more accepting than others. So that's, that's something within my own family where you can see those cultural differences and well, well, fine, but don't talk about it. Uh, that that kind of issue. One thing I was curious to ask both of you, though, was just about being bisexual in relation to being a man. I get a lot of emails from bisexuals around the world, and one of the main ones is always that they don't feel in themselves man enough to attract women. They're very aware of the stats that only 18% of women would date a man who's had sex with another man. Um, and we're obviously in a very unique situation as bisexuals because you know, we are open to relationships with all genders, <laughs> or sorry, more than one gender. So I just wanted to to kind of get a bit of an inspirational speech, basically, for any of our bi males that might be listening, that might feel that actually that, you know, no one will take them seriously. And as you've talked about today, it's hard enough getting friends and strangers to take you seriously. But when it's people you're interested in a, in a romantic way, I was just wondering what you might have to add on that. So for me... Dealing with masculinity has was the first hurdle in my life. I grew up in an, an area where there was a lot of... Because, because people who don't know Southall, it's a very South Asian area. So I grew up amongst a lot of people who are also South Asian. And there was always this understanding of what the gender roles look like and what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a woman. Obviously, nothing else was mentioned. No other genders. Um, and... There was there was these all these um, expectations put on me, um, which I just didn't fit. Um, there was, and especially as I got older, it got worse. You know, I've always been the person who really likes soft toys, and I'm very emotional, and I cry a lot, and that just didn't fit for the people who expected me to um, be quite strong and you know have a lot of banter and go to the gym and play lots of FIFA and Call of Duty and really love football. And I was just like, so I'm going to go and play Kirby. <laughs> and I'm going to play some Mario and I'm just going to go do that and I'll see you later. Um, and that's always been one of the big barriers because a lot of people um, saw me as not performing masculinity and immediately would say, well, then he's gay. And that's what it meant to them. It's like the second you don't adhere to that role, you aren't man enough and therefore you are gay. That's, mm. that's what it is. And to, to people who worry about that kind of stuff, I think that the whole idea of gender conformity and gender roles is so outdated and so ridiculous and so constraining and damaging in so many ways. You know, we see the stats for men in general in terms of uh, suicide rates and depression and anxiety. And it's all of that idea of, what it is to be a man and how men are not allowed to uh, share them, themselves emotionally. Um, so we, we experience a lot of that. And I think the right thing to do was just chuck that all in the bin. It's just, we need to throw that away because um, it just isn't helpful. And to women who say that they wouldn't date a man who isn't masculine enough, it's troubling because they're upholding that patriarchal society. Um, in a way that they may not realize it's it's expecting men to act in a certain way and it's upholding that gender role and I think it's really important that we throw that away and you know if women 
aren't going to date you because you're a bisexual man. Do you really want to date them anyway? Um, I, I can't really envision myself um, dating a straight woman because I don't know if they will necessarily understand my queerness and my queer identity. Um, and honestly, there's so many bisexual women out there. Like, just go for one of them. They're great. I love them. <laughs> uh, um, to, to kind of piggyback off of what Vanit said, um, toxic masculinity is, is a product of patriarchy. Um, this yeah. whole image of what a man is supposed to look like is getting dated. I mean, uh, men are allowed to be soft. Women are allowed to be hard. Like everyone can be in the middle. Like that, that kind of fluidity is starting to exist. And I think that if you, if you choose to lean more into the masculine side of things, that's absolutely okay. If you choose to lean more into the feminine side of things, that's okay as well. If you lean toward your true self, you're going to attract people that will be attracted to that. One of my best friends who has identified as gay for the longest time just started connecting with a cisgendered woman for probably the first time. And she loves him just by him being who he is. She's attracted to that part of him. And he just discovered he was bi because he was being his fullest, truest self. And so I feel like when you ignore all these constructs that we place on each, on ourselves, all these labels that we place on ourselves, when you really lean into who you are, that's when you attract what you really want. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I so agree. And I think for men that are bisexual, I always say, you know, do it your way and love yourself first before others can love you. And Absolutely. And it's also this thing of like, why on earth would you want to pretend to be something you're not? I know I'm talking to an actor, so I'm not. I You know, I'm raising um, an 11 year old stepson. I've got another kid on the way. And one thing I've learned from raising kids is, you know, they are people are going to be who they're going to want to who they're going to be and that they can't mm-hmm. be people can't be controlled and neither should they be controlled or have to perform for others to like them. Yeah, I agree. I agree too. Mm. Well, we all agree. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to come to an end, but let, the final question to you, David, mm-hmm. as an actor, because we're talking about performances and things just then. As an actor, and obviously you're in, you know, you're in the politician and things like that. How long is it, do you think, before we'll, we'll be in a position that Hollywood or even over here in the UK, anywhere really, anywhere where there's mainstream films and TV programmes being made that are noticeable around the world, where we'll actually have, you know, a real, true bisexual character that we can all look up to? You know, is bisexuality ever going to be really represented on screen, do you think? I, I do believe so. There are a few examples of that showing right now that I feel like are in a positive light. Um, right now, Zoe Kravitz has a show on Hulu um, where she plays a bisexual woman. Uh, Spike Lee had a show on Netflix, She's Gotta Have It, where the lead character was pansexual. And uh, BET has a show, Boomerang, right now, where one of their characters is a bisexual cisgendered man, black man. These opportunities are starting to show up. Uh, I feel like it takes a little sprinkle here and there to get started. I know that there are people that are working on these types of programs right now. I know uh, Trayvon Free, for example, who is out of Issa Rae's uh, camp. He's working on a show right now about the bisexual experience. I believe they're coming and I can't wait to be a part of them. Yeah, because the tendency in the past has been, hasn't it, that a bisexual character emerges and they either end up being the, you know, the, the really weird one in some kind of program or production or 
they basically the, the 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 writers get bored with them, or a little bit gets a bit too complicated, and they get killed off. Oh yeah, that, that happened. I, the, the biggest example I can think of is on the show The One Hundred, where one of the characters, the main character, was starting to date one of the characters, and she was a bisexual woman. And then after a while, she was no longer on the show. They completely killed the character off. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind whenever someone talks about like, oh, bisexual characters are on TV, and I'm like, yeah, but they're killed like instantly. So. <laughs> I'm happy that there's this uh, evolution towards exploring bisexuality in a way, because I know at first a lot of people were like, ah, that's kind of confusing. I don't really get it. That goes that goes along the lines with the whole um, you're either gay or you're straight, like that kind of mentality. But we now have all these conversations around trans. At first, trans was like, oh, I don't understand it. But now we're we're finally seeing their full experience. We're seeing the different layers of what it means to be transgender. So I think bisexuality is going to have its its moment to join in that whole experience of being able to see bisexuality fully in television. Could I just ask one final, final question? <laughs> and you don't have to answer, David, if, if it's too awkward. But um, obviously we know that there's this stigma that when actors come out as gay, that, that the roles that they're able to do are closed off to them. I just mm-hmm. wondered if you felt that being an out bisexual actor had impacted your career and and also a bit more widely on that you know d- does coming out as bisexual affect an actor's career in the same way coming out as gay does honestly i think that has to do with the color of that person's skin i i feel neil patrick harris can play anybody and no one would bat an eye but there there was a stigma for i i know in my coming up in the industry i was often advised to not be open about my sexuality and to not play too many gay roles out of fear of being stigmatized. And when I voiced that to other people, when I voiced that to other fellow actors, some of them had the same mentality, but when I voiced that to women, they were like, no, that's ridiculous. Um, I know for myself right now, I've told my team that I am open and willing to play any and all roles that um, showcase a black man, a black cisgendered man in any particular way, because I am a storyteller. It's my job to tell stories. Um, I think it sucks that a lot of people still feel like confound to that box. However, I think that that mold is starting to break as well. There are plenty of actors out there who have started to come out that are still playing uh, straight roles. They're still doing that. They, they can play anything that they want. Um, the industry is evolving. It just, it just takes a little time. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So Nikki Lewis and I were talking there to uh, David J. Cork, who's uh, an actor uh, in America who starred in The Politician and has made that uh, uh, bisexual series called By the Web Series, which I think you can... Uh, find online somewhere and he's about to make a a new documentary all about uh, bisexual men in America. I can't wait for that. And uh, by Vineet Mehta, who is um, an Indian bisexual man, activist and writer. It was great to uh, speak to both of them and I'm sure they'll be on Bisexual Brunch again at some point in the future. Now, something else that's been sort of um, in the news. Well, actually, there's been a few of these recently. We were just talking about it, weren't we? Um, while, the, while we were playing the tape, that basically... Um, there's a fair few people recently who've actually put their head up on the parapet and said, you know what, I'm bisexual. And one of them was the voice's Avery Wilson, who 
just literally tweeted, I think it was last week or the week before, um, on Twitter. He just said, uh, here's a thing. Oh, here we go. I'm bisexual. Okay, bye. And that was it, um, which is fantastic. Uh, having said that, he got immediately, immediately after that, he got loads and loads of uh, biphobic remarks from loads of different people, uh, from quite a few uh, gay men and others. And um, it led to a bit of a, uh, you know, a Twitter storm, as it were. Um, what do we make of it? What do we make of it? I mean, it's great. It's fantastic that he's had the courage to come out, isn't it? It's always great to see um, other bisexual men coming out, especially for me. <laughs> it's, it's nice to know we're not alone. Um <laughs> I quite like the understated way he did it, um, because I do feel like with bisexual, um, when you say I'm bisexual, you kind of just pause and then you kind of wait for the million questions of, what do you mean you're bisexual? How many men have you slept with? How many women? Like, so you must have a preference. <laughs> oh, so blah, blah. But it's impossible because I kissed a girl once and it, I didn't want to do it again. All that stuff. So the fact that he's kind of just been understated and what is it, like five words or something like that? Um <laughs> Is quite nice because that that you know for bisexuals it, you can never just say I'm bisexual. It's just a constant barrage of question, question, question of people just trying to disprove it with some some way or another, as though you haven't heard them all a million times and you don't have the best answer ready for them. Um, so great for him. Glad he came out. Obviously, you know these attitudes are here. They're not going away uh, with, with what is what is faced. But, but I think he handled himself well. And that's all we can really ask, right? You know, I hope that we can just empower bisexuals to be able to look after themselves. You know, I, and I think I think he, he looked after himself and he did it on his own terms. He wasn't outed. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's done it in a, in a nice way, I think. He actually went on his Instagram and apparently put in quite a lot more detail why he decided to come out as bi now and, you know, talk about his kind of attitudes to life and his attitudes to love, which I think, again, is actually quite thrilling because I don't think I have seen a really lengthy post from somebody who is bi, who is a guy who's just come out and then, you know, feels that he can just go say a bunch of quite personal stuff about himself. So I feel like that's progress. But the way that it was kind of represented in the tabloids, not so progressive. No, no, definitely not. And, um, you know, I think it is good that, as you say, that he's he's sort of felt comfortable about saying it because often what happens is that there's there's some nuance around it about oh I've had you know you, you have to we have celebrities in the past who've said oh I've, I've had a relationship with so and so but now I'm now I'm sort of straight or now I'm gay or now I'm in this long term relationship with, and then the, just to stop the media going on about it basically I mean the other thing about being bisexual and this will come up I'm sure many times as we go forward is that people because the word sex is in the word bisexual uh, it's not like gay or lesbian um people just think we're all at it we're basically having orgies and all sorts of things you know chance would be a fine thing really to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's it's just ridiculous but that's what people think i mean obviously people who are gay straight bisexual whatever all have orgies and there's nothing wrong with that but just to assume that we're all literally sex maniacs is ridiculous but some of the things that were said i mean this is what shows to me that we've got still got a long way to go in being you know it's it, bisexuality or biphobia is a sort of acceptable by acceptable phobia in a way a bit like ageism and uh you know fatism and various things like that where people seem to be able to say what they like i mean basically there's a couple of things here were said somebody said i don't trust bisexual men neither would any woman that is heterosexual um, sorry, but bisexual men are not as acceptable 
as bisexual women, especially if they are too effeminate. Another one said, I wish guys could just be honest and say they're gay, but we got to do the bisexual in between step first. So that is st- that still lives on, that whole thing of uh, bi today, gay tomorrow, or whatever it is, still lives on. That's depressing in 2020. Oh, so isn't depressing. It? So, so depressing. And I just think, you know, I think bisexuals are still the butt of many a joke. You know, I think people have, if you if you casually go to a bar and chat to people about sexuality, people will have all kinds of humorous things to say about people being bi. I've been in pubs where men have been trying to kind of like persuade their girlfriends to be bi for the evening and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I just think we've got to get to a point where people accept it as a gen- genuine orientation and stop taking the piss basically absolutely absolutely well it'd be lovely to speak to Avery wouldn't it I mean I did tweet him and said you know would you like to come on our show I mean he might not want to make a massive thing about it anymore he might have done that and that's it and he's moved on which is fair enough I understand that he's done it in quite a big way in a way but obviously you know part of this um, show is to hear people's stories because every bisexual story you know we know that all three of our stories of getting to being open about being bisexual and accepting it has been pretty, uh, well, all different, aren't they, really? Never met two bisexuals with the same story. We finally got to make our first bisexual brunch. It's going to be weekly, so there's a commitment for you. Every week we'll be uh, talking about all things bisexual. Um, And coming up in the next episode, when I've actually been on the road uh, before uh, the lockdown uh, issue, um, I managed to catch up with the wonderful Amanda Barry, Carry On star, Coronation Street star, to talk about her experience of being bisexual. So that should be good, shouldn't it, Nikki? Oh, I am thrilled. She's so exciting. And I've heard a few clips of her speaking. She's got so much passion and just sounds like she's about 25 as well, which is fantastic. <laughs> wow. So I wish I could have been there to hear you interview her, but we'll just have to listen to the interview instead. Yeah, I'm really jealous you got to meet her. I've got a little <laughs> soft spot for her. And she yeah. looks incredible. She does, she does. How old is she now? She's, she's like 82 or something. No, she's 85, I think. 85. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she looks insane. fantastic. And of course, she goes back She goes back way, way back to the early Carry On films, you know. Yeah. Carry On Cabby, Carry On Cleo, you know, it's amazing, really. And I love hearing from older bisexuals as well. It's just like they have so much experience. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in our modern world of they said this on Twitter. Um, it's actually quite interesting to hear an older perspective sometimes. Very much so. Definitely, definitely. And, and obviously something we'll touch on, I'm sure, in the future, Nikki, is um, the fact that there are a lot of people who are older who find it difficult to sort of express their bisexuality. But you um, managed to do it, didn't you, in our Being Bisexual programme that we did because your mum actually came out to you, didn't she? <laughs> She did indeed. I don't know if she's just been waiting for a moment her whole life. So when she knew that the radio recording was, was you know, whirring, she decided to let her truth be known to the world. <laughs> but she did decide to come out to, to me on that programme that we made. And it was a real bonding moment for us. And we've talked about it many times since. And she is finally comfortable with saying that she is bi. And it took her till she was about, what, 60? Well, I won't say her age, but 60-something. 60 <laughs> 60-something 60 to come out and come to that realisation. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a thrill. And you can hear that still, actually. If you look online, if you look up the World Service, look up um, Being Bisexual, it's there, isn't it? You can still listen to that. It's still there on the BBC website, exactly. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. 
This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.